Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome to Inside the Game, once again in association with Twitter Zoo Racing South Africa. Another episode as we build towards the Dakar Rally 2019. I find myself uh, in the north of Johannesburg, Paul Speed, which is very much the heart of uh, Twitter Zoo Racing South Africa. And uh, I find myself with the man who's been involved with Paul Speed for many, many years, uh, wearing many different hats. Uh, uh, Rob Howie, uh, in the past, uh, a lot of people will associate with you, you with uh, being a, a navigator when it comes to the Dakar Rally. Not uh, the case uh, this time around, but uh, you'll be involved uh, in some respects. Yes, this year I, as you say, changed my hat, and I will be assisting Glenn Moore with, you know, managing the team and uh, hopefully smoothing things out for the team and, uh, you know, impart my knowledge that I have and hopefully use it to. Uh, to good effect and for hopefully a, a good result. And when it comes to, to knowledge, uh, I mean, <laughs> you're basically a treasure trove of knowledge when it comes to, to motor vehicles and motor racing. Um, uh, talk us through your involvement with uh, Hall Speed over the last couple of years. Well, I've been with Glenn for, I think it's nearly 20 years now. And uh, yes, since 2012, we've been doing the, uh, the Toyota program in the Dakar, which is shifted a little bit you know we were involved in circuit racing and uh, local off-road racing but um yeah in terms of that knowledge there's obviously that was good for my co-driving but now i have co-driving knowledge which is good for the team because i know what what's on the other side if you like you know i i know what it's like to be in the car the pressure i know what the crew are expecting so hopefully i can help in that that area which will be new for me um but i'm up for a new challenge I was going to ask, I mean, since the advent of uh, Toyota's involvement with the Dakar Rally since 2012, have you been at the Dakar in any other form other than being a navigator? I went uh, with a previous manufacturer who went for two years. I was actually Janil's number one mechanic the one year. Um, But that was, I actually almost made a, a deal with myself. I said, I'm never coming back to this race if I can't do it as a competitor. And uh, fortunately... Uh, eight years later it worked out that way so uh, that was good okay now let's talk about your your racing pedigree when it comes to being a navigator at the Dakar I mean you've uh, served a a couple of drivers uh, along the way and uh, had some pretty decent performances as well yeah look I always uh, I don't want to sound cheeky but but I do have the the sort of the what's the right word to say the ability to say that I have four top ten finishes with four different people and uh, I think that's that's pretty cool you know I, I like the fact that all the guys that I've been with I've been able to gel with and we've had good results talk us through those four guys well first was Duncan Foss who uh, I won a South African championship with here uh, and we were very fortunate to go I guess as rookies both of us and uh, in that first year we placed 11th but uh, Robbie Gordon was excluded for for an infringement on his air, you know, his inlet system. So we were promoted to 10th. Um, and then Leroy Poulter replaced Duncan. And I spent a few years with him. Look, the first two weren't that easy. We uh, struggled a little bit, you know, as Leroy found his feet in terms of, of uh, changing his style from rallying to cross-country. 
but eventually in the third year we got a, t a fifth place so that was my second top 10 um, the third one was Konrad Rautenbach who's the rally driver from Zimbabwe um, also a rookie and we actually won the rookie of the year award and uh, ninth place and then this year 2018 I was with uh, Lucio Alvarez who's the uh, the local Argentine guy who uh, is a rally driver gaucho and a really nice guy you know I, I met him for the first time in 2012 and we, we got on well because we all stayed together and uh, yeah another 10th place with him so that was great now the the first two you mentioned need no introduction in, in Duncan Foss and Leroy Poulter uh, Conrad Reitenbach uh, great to see him uh, on board and then talk us through Lucio because I remember chatting to you prior to this year's race the the 2018 Dakar you said it's, it's going to be pretty intimidating being next to a guy who's so popular in Argentina well actually the the overdrive uh, logistics guy said to me with a smile on his face as we were testing in France he said uh, you're going to have a wonderful time with such a famous guy but um, as it turned out it wasn't so bad and you just you know take it in your stride but he's a uh, you know very passionate the the Argentine type of mentality very sort of Spanish background you know so uh, it's, it's also fine talking around the dinner table but uh, in a stressful situation in the Dakar sometimes I had to think on my feet quickly when you didn't understand what I was saying. Now I apologize for the noise uh, as you'd expect you're in a workshop so you'd expect noise but there's also a massive thunderstorm that's just hit Johannesburg so uh, hence why we are being ground out a little bit uh, by the rain. Now Rob you were looking to compete in 2019 but uh, a heartbreaking circumstances evicted you a couple of months prior uh, in the, one of the, the first training races uh, over in Qatar if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it actually looking back, you know, blessed with the hindsight, um, I actually got hurt on day two of the Dakar. Um, I didn't realize that the seat was touching the roll cage at the back so when we hit a big dune, a hole in the dune, I got uh, sort of partially knocked out and hurt myself uh, in like a compression fracture in my back but soldiered on for the next uh, 10 or so days and completed the Dakar um, and every time I sought medical attention they said no 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 there's nothing wrong with you. you you know every time they pushed my back because the injury was on the front they didn't notice that there was a problem um, I even came back to South Africa and was very fortunately chosen by Janil de Villiers to sit next to him um, we did the first race of the South African Off-Road Championship and, uh, in Dahlstrom and we won that. And then, uh, yeah, everything seemed to be going well. We uh, entered the Qatar Rally, which was going to be our training race together before Morocco. And uh, on the second day, hit another a ditch in the road. You know, Qatar is a very uh, um, difficult place to to see the ditches because it's it's like a man-made it's well it's an operating desert you know there's so much construction and what have you going on and we uh, came over a blind rise and hit another sort of like I guess a bump in the road and there that injury came back you know but uh, this time because I was uh, admitted to a, a hospital in Qatar they took MRI scan and and uh, x-rays and what have you and they said you're not moving out of here for it was eight nights i think um and eventually uh how did you take the news no that wasn't uh, wasn't the best thing i've heard in my life and when the very pleasant staff there um 
one of the neurosurgeons came to me and he said, you know, can you move your feet? And I said, yeah, of course. So he, he looked a little bit perplexed and sort of, oh, that's amazing. And then I didn't realize, you know, why he was going to that level. He said, you know, you're actually lucky that you can move your feet because you, you'll be lucky to walk. Anyway, sitting there for the next eight days and being bathed by male nurses, which is also another new experience, <laughs> which I, I don't suggest to anyone. But anyway, you know, you you start to think about all these things and got back to South Africa. I was... Uh, but that wasn't an easy process either, getting back to SA. No, look, I had to... I had to walk before they'd let me get out the hospital, so blessed with a brace and a physio. And you won't believe how quickly your body, you know, especially after an injury like that, actually just wants to, uh, like, shut down, you know. You actually have to train yourself to walk again, which I, which I found strange, you know. And uh, anyway, um, I was supposed to get clearance from the Qatar Airlines and what have you. It was a big, a big story, and eventually the... The physio, a wonderful um, Indian chap who was an avid cricket fan, and uh, he told me he'd just come back from South Africa and he'd he'd seen the the big five, but not the big six. And I sort of asked him, "Well, I know what the big five are, and I, I can't believe he knows what a Cortina is, you know. So why do you want to know about that?" And he said, "No, no, no, A.B. de Villiers." So um, anyway, we we actually become quite friendly, and uh, the one day he said to me, "You know, I'm going to teach you." or just pace yourself walk every hour get strong again and he says and then i think just like they're doing cricket every now and again you got to make a run for it so uh, i got out of the hospital got onto my uh, very uh, fortunate business class seat which allowed me to lie down the whole trip home and then back to south africa uh, i mean if you had been told prior to going to Qatar that not only would you have been in an accident but you'd almost have had to learn how to walk again um, I mean you, you look back at that uh, and that must be you reevaluate your life and uh, I can imagine your future purposes well you know when I came back to South Africa I went and saw another neurosurgeon to obviously to give me a plan you know what do I do how do I how do I tackle this injury for the next uh, couple of days and I and I was also thinking while I was sitting in both situations I had just read Joey Evans's book that the wonderful story about the, the, the biker who, who um, injured himself and had a spinal cord injury and uh, I just I think it's from Para, Para to Dakar yeah correct that's his book very good book and a very inspirational read and uh, I'd read that mid-year before I'd, I'd met up with Lucio in the test the previous test before Dakar and I I thought I was busy doing exactly the same thing. I was going down the same road, but I was doing the book in reverse, you know. And uh, when I saw the specialist in South Africa, a neurosurgeon, he said to me, do you know you're very lucky to walk? And uh, it was only then that I saw an MRI image of the actual injury. And uh, I didn't realize it was six vertebrae that are damaged. And one of them is uh, was very close to my spinal cord, you know, where the, I'm not a medical guy. For me, it's my main wiring harness goes, you know, so... That's, um, that was a bit of a shock, but I guess you have to deal with it, you know, and I guess if you can walk and there is a plan, then you have to cheer up very quickly and uh, deal with it, you know. And uh, in terms of dealing with it, uh, would we see you in, in a vehicle again anytime soon? Uh, <coughs> I'd probably maybe look at doing some testing or something in a controlled environment, you know, where you can, we know exactly what's happening. 
but I I probably wouldn't race again you know I'm uh, I'd given myself three years with Janelle uh, I was looking forward to that and uh, like the neurosurgeon says well I'm not ending your career I'm just cutting it short by three years so I think the risk is too high and uh, you know as the older you get you don't recover as quickly and although I think I'm 23 I'm I'm not 23 anymore you know now I can imagine it's going to be quite tough going to Dakar 2019 and uh, being in the presence of drivers navigators and and being unable to fulfill a role that you've done uh, so well over the, the last couple of years uh, surely that's that's going to play on your mind a lot well i think that's the one reason why you have to go you know you have to face the the situation um i guess i, I look at it differently and say well i got chosen for the a team and uh you know i represented but i didn't get to finish it through injury so it's not the end of the world you know and I think also I've, I've got so many friends. I love traveling. I love the race. And uh, with all of this experience, I think it would be uh, very short-sighted of me not to continue offering it, you know, to the team and to my friends that I've made. And uh, I believe I have some, some, uh, some, some value to still add. So that's why I'd like to keep doing it. And in addition, it's, it's not as if you've just started your motoring career. I mean... You've got uh, some fantastic notches under the belt. I mean, if you, uh, my mouth is terrible, but uh, I mean, how many Dakars then has it been as a competitor? I, I finished seven. So, uh, well, not finished. We didn't finish the one in 2013, but started seven. Uh, you know, a couple of South African championships. I, uh, I got awarded Protea Colours. So, um, if nothing else, that's an inspiration for my son and his cricket because. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's nice to have something like that to aim for. Maybe uh, he can take it to being the big seven. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now, okay, so you so you won't be on board as a competitor this time round, but as you say, you'll be lending your expertise, your uh, what do they call it, your psychological capabilities uh, this time round, uh, and. Uh, how do you see the team going? I, I think a big bonus is the fact that of the six men taking part for Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, five are returning from the five that did duty last year. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the other thing is that um, if you put in a situation that you, you can assist, and, I mean, there's crews there that, that need assistance that maybe Glenn doesn't know about or he's not aware of, you know, I can maybe preempt that for him or advise him on it or, or, or actually just step in and, and help him get through with it you know um, so I think from that point of view it's uh, I'm actually looking forward to it you know I'm sure I mean not people of course know about the drivers and how tough it can be navigators not so much I think it's very much a uncharted territory for the layman out there when it comes to motorsport especially when it comes to the Dakar and I remember earlier this year, the, the Dakar 2018 event, chatting to some of the co-drivers like yourself, Dirk von Zitzewitz, um, and uh, also Michel Perrin, uh, who raced with Bernard Tenbrunke, and uh, he's uh, now since retired from racing. And there were massive complaints uh, about the navigating this time around when it came to the roadbook, this Bible that you guys all live by. And, and maybe you could shed some light on this roadbook. I know we touched a, a bit about it with Janille uh, a couple of weeks ago. But, I mean, from your perspective, I mean, you, you don't leave home without it. No, look, and uh, the route has to be tricky. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a big thing to win. The, the race is a challenge, for sure. But, 
you know, the thing that we do have is very limited information. It's a compass bearing in the in the roadbook, which is what tells you which direction to go. The GPS is purely light up, or or they they sort of come on to zone you into the waypoint. But even then, some of them are hidden waypoints. So it's basically looking at a compass and a book of instructions. And we've had great years where the roadbook is so accurate and you turn at exactly the point where it says and what have you. And then there were some anomalies, you know, we had we had waypoints that were listed that, that didn't click on on the GPS and then 500 meters later they would come on and, you know, as a co-driver you you under so much pressure to not make a mistake and to find that point. When it doesn't come on you start doubting yourself and it's, it just raises the stress so much, you know, and... Uh, we had people going the wrong way. We had people, you know, circling and looking for waypoints. And, uh, yeah, that took the edge off a little bit, you know. So I don't like to complain, but the organizer definitely uh, made it very difficult for us for a couple of days. And relationships in the car, I can imagine they become quite testy because, of course, that would be the navigator's responsibility to, to guide the way. And if the book's not saying the right thing the driver automatically assumes that it's you making the error. Of course, so the, the, the best way to look at it is if, if you look at the driver and respect him doing the best possible job and he looks at you and respects you for doing the best possible job, you can get on with it. Um, if you're going to be second-guessing yourself or him all the time or her for, for that matter, um, it's not going to work, you know. And uh, no, I think you do. You form a very good bond and, uh, you know, I'm still friendly with all the people that I've raced with and uh, um, someone like Duncan Foss, I still share my annual holiday with him at his house on the south coast. So so it is important. But if you, if you aren't able to form that bond, I don't think you'll be able to have the success. Now, looking around, um, of course, we're in the final preparations towards uh, a Dakar 2019. Uh, you're putting in the crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Uh, I can imagine from a preparation perspective, I mean, once you load up that final box and you send it off to Peru, you realize that uh, this is it because there's no turning back now in terms of the things that you sent over. Once you get there, if you don't have it, then you're screwed. Well, the other thing, of course, is, um, you know, the responsibility of, as you say, packing all the right stuff so we don't have a problem, you know, no oversights. But I'm still part of the business, you know, I'm still a fabricator, so I'm busy making radiators as we speak. On Thursday, I've got to put my, my forklift cap on to put the car on the trailer. So, uh, yeah, there is a lot of responsibility, but it's, uh, it's something I do with pleasure. And, of course, you, you can't just say, oh, let's just pack everything and yeah. make sure that we're not missing things because there's weight constraints, there's okay. financial constraints. Well, also on the other side... When you get to Lima, you have to pack it into a truck. Each truck, you know, costs a set euro amount to enter in the race. You can't, you can't have 20 trucks. You can't afford it, you know. Uh, the only thing that we do have in our favor is when we, when we are based in Lima, we're at a Toyota factory. So unlike arriving in Tunisia or Morocco, where you really are like uh, in the sticks, so to speak, you know, Lima has got a little bit of infrastructure. So you do, you do get a couple of days to... You know, catch your breath and then realize if you have made a mistake or you have an oversight, you, you've got a small chance of uh, fixing it. You mentioned wearing your, your forklift cap. I mean, how, how many caps do you have? How many rolls do you serve yet to whole speed? Well, quite a few, but I just, I just keep changing it, you know. 
And uh, finally, for, for the uninitiated out there, when it comes to Hall Speed, a little background on the company and, and, and what part they play in the Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa story. Well, the, the company is run and owned by Glenn Hall, hence the Hall Speed. And he came from the UK in 1981, I think. Um, he was friendly with Tony Pond, so comes from a rallying background in the UK, worked for Chrysler, and then set up his own business here. And uh, he's gone from strength to strength and uh, has gone, you know, as the, the challenge of motor racing changed in South Africa, he's gone with them from touring cars to production cars to off-road. And uh, we were told by uh, one of the Japanese engineers once, he said, you know, you look at the, the nature of your country, and you will always have success in off-road. So hence cross-country racing, which we uh, focused on. And it was a small French team that saw what we were doing here and then wanted some of our cars, which is uh, how it all started for, for Glenn and the team, I guess. And regarding Hall Speed and the future, 2019, Dakar 2019. I mean, if there's one man who, who knows what's happening inside that Hilux, which I'm, I'm looking over the balcony right now, it's you. Uh, confident that it can do the business uh, for the new Dakar? Absolutely. You know, I think I'm also I'm, uh, in a very fortunate situation to say that I compete in cars that I have a hand in making, which is, uh, which is also obviously very nice. Of course, I feel very safe in my own product. You know, it would be a bit different if someone else had made it. But um, we've had a long evolution and we've built a good car and uh, it's been fine-tuned and I actually, for the first time in a long time, do feel quite relaxed in this last week, you know, so it does, it does feel like it's either perfect or we don't know what's going to happen. Ah, Rob, pleasure chatting to you. Unfortunate uh, that you won't be at Dakar 2019 as a competitor, but as you say, you're going to be there using your intellectual property to its fullest. Uh, I'm sure that will definitely be the case. And uh, yeah, it's going to be great to have you around. Of course, I'll, I'll be back uh, in South America as uh, will the rest of the media guys, but uh, working hand-in-hand hand very closely with you guys, the, the gents and the ladies uh, from Hall Speed, and uh, wish you the best of luck for the team uh, over in Peru. Yeah, we'll see you in a few weeks' time. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.